Well, good Sunday morning, Chapel Roswell. It is awesome to be in worship with each and every one of you this morning. We wrap up our road trip series this morning. We've looked at a couple of examples of Jesus taking his disciples on some road trips, almost like field trips, you could say. And this morning, we're going to look at the location that Jesus was very familiar with, and he uses this location in a lot of his parables, in a lot of his teachings, in a lot of his preachings. From this city that we're going to talk about this morning, we'll find the origin for a lot that underlies the teaching that Jesus would do. We're going to take a look at a passage of Scripture, in fact, that, that intersects our lives with the glory and the power of God and what God wants to do in you, with you, and through you. Uh, but first, as we begin this morning, let me share a bit of wisdom that I was taught as a child. My, my mother would always tell me the importance of eating all of my vegetables. And there was one vegetable in particular that my mom said, you really need to eat a lot of this so that your eyesight would be really strong. With a show of hands, how many of you have heard that same spiel? What vegetable is my mom talking about? Carrots. That's right. Now, let me tell you a little story here. Carrots don't really help your eyesight. It's an old wives' tale. How did we fall for it? Now, carrots do have a plethora of vitamin A. That will help somebody who is very malnourished maybe improve on their sight a little bit, just kind of bringing it up to where it needs to be. Uh, but truthfully, gobbling down carrot after carrot won't allow you to uh, suddenly ditch your glasses. It won't help you see better at night. And if you have fallen for this old wives' tale, you have been the victim of World War II propaganda. What do I mean by that? Let me take you back to World War II. In England, German planes were dropping bombs on London by night, and at first the British planes had no way to defend against the German bombers, but they had been working on a top-secret onboard radar system for their aircraft. It allowed the planes to fly at night. This new radar system, in fact, allowed the British to pinpoint incoming bombers before they made it to London. And now the citizens of London were so relieved that their pilots finally could fly at night to fight the, the, the German bombers that were headed to London. So how did the British Air Force develop some scheme to be able to fly at night? Well, uh, the British Air Force, they didn't want to give away their secret. They didn't want the Germans to know that they were using this new onboard radar system. So they made up a propaganda campaign and they cited carrots as the reason why their British pilots could fly at night. Hey, our pilots, they can fly at night because you know what? They eat all of their carrots. And the public, they started to believe it. And with food rationing a, a day really in the life of all the British during that time, the demand for carrots, it started to skyrocket, all because the British thought that carrots would help them see better and to see at night. Being able to fly at night, that was huge in the war effort. And Jesus talked a lot about the darkness, flying in the dark. Yeah, that's a good thing. But living in the darkness, that's a totally different thing. We're going to look at that this morning. In his teaching and in his preaching, Jesus often used the concept of, of light to describe a, a godly life that, that light. It represents hope and new life and God's purpose and God's power. Jesus contrasted the light with the darkness. Darkness represent, represented sin or, or maybe shame or a separation from God. So with that in mind, let me take you to the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. You've heard me say numerous times before that the gospel simply means the good news. And so we have the good news of Jesus in the gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, 
verses 14, 15, and 16. Here's what Jesus taught. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let me give you a little bit of backstory. Like I said, we're talking about road trips, the road trips uh, that Jesus will uh, take his disciples on. And I think the road trips that Jesus is inviting you and me to take part in as well. Uh, Now, early in Jesus's life, he lived in the tiny town called Nazareth. Nazareth was a totally insignificant little village. In fact, there's no mention of of Nazareth in the Old Testament. If you look at some of the maps that were crafted from uh, during Jesus' time, uh, there's no mention of Nazareth on the maps either. In fact, only about 200 people lived in Nazareth during the time of Jesus. About 200. Everybody knew each other. A really small, insignificant little village. But if you looked up to the northwest, only about four miles, you would see a growing and wealthy and dynamic city. It was the metropolis known as Sephoris. Sephoris was a city, like I said, about five miles northwest of Nazareth. In the year 3 AD, Sephoris underwent major expansion. There was tons of, of building and construction going on. In fact, many biblical scholars think that Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus settled down in Nazareth because it was so close to Sephoris. Kind of a question for you this morning. What was the occupation of Joseph? He was a carpenter. That's exactly right. Scripture tells us that Joseph was a carpenter. When we think of carpentry, very often we think of someone who works with wood. Uh, But the Greek word for carpenter actually refers to anyone who uses their hands. And and Nazareth was in a really barren area. You didn't find a lot of trees, therefore you didn't find a lot of wood. So Joseph, they think, probably worked with stone. And many think that he would have found steady employment in the city of Sephora because that's where everybody was going to find work. Many people, like I said, thought that Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus kind of landed there because of its proximity to Sephora. It was a beautiful, it was a stunning city. It was known as a a city for the wealthy. It had cobblestone streets and these large fancy villas and these huge public bathhouses. The city of Sephora, in fact, was known as the Jewel of Galilee. Galilee, of course, the region where Sephora would be found. It was so significant. It had a lot of wealth. People would travel through it going on different trade routes during that time. And Sephora was known, incredibly well known, in fact, for its live theater. They had this massive structure. It could seat more than 3,000 people. The people of Sephora, they loved drama. They loved plays. They loved shows. And and so Sephora had this massive theater the best all around in that day and time. And people would flock from all over to see the plays that were going on. Now, here's one of the reasons that we believe that Jesus was familiar with this city of Sephora. He no doubt had many road trips and excursions up to this city. It was the site, like I said, of all these extravagant performances and drama and plays. And the actors, the Greek word for the actors who would have a, a starring role in this drama, they were known as... Hypocrites. 
You've heard that term before. It's not a religious word. It's not even a Hebrew word. It's a Greek word that people in Sephoris would use to talk about the actors, the, the participants in all of the plays and the theater and the drama that was going on. Uh, the word hypocrite we find in Scripture is used 24 times by Jesus. Like I said, it's someone who acts one way and maybe does something else. An actor will put on this persona when they're in a theatrical production. And Jesus uses that word to represent people who claim to live by faith, but but really aren't kind of walking the walk, if you will. The city of Sephora beautiful. Uh, ornate, a a fancy city. It was built on a a, a big hill, almost like a small mountain, I guess you could say, overlooking all of the the small villages around it. And at night, the candles will illuminate the the, the households and the the different businesses and the public streets and so forth. And so literally miles away, you could see the light of the city on a hill. When we have an understanding of the city of Sephora, it's easy to then understand the analogy that Jesus makes in regard to light. I think using a reference to the city of Sephora to teach his disciples and also to teach you and me practical lessons here and now. You are the light of the world. Remember, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. People don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Uh, Towns and cities back then, if they were good, if they were lucky, they they were able to build uh, their cities or their towns on a hill. That would be a form of protection. They would see the enemy coming and the enemy would have to track somehow up into the city. And so it really was a a place of uh, of kind of an advantage in a warlike setting or a battle or, or an invasion from someone else. And I think the city on a hill analogy really represents Sephora because in Nazareth, where Jesus was growing up, you, you could see this huge city on a hill just five miles up the road. Now, Jesus also talks about lighting a lamp. In that day and age, you didn't have matches. It took a long time to light a candle. And so you would have many candles in the house trying to provide illumination, trying to provide light. And once the candle was lit, you'd want it to to keep burning as long as it could. But if people left their home, they would take the lamp, they would put it under a bowl that, that would extinguish the flame. They didn't want the, the flame, after all, to keep shining. If they're not at home, it could cause some sort of accident or burn the house down. And so Jesus uses this analogy to talk about you and to talk about me. That we have the light of God shining within us and through us and around us and with us. And you don't want to put, a, 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 you don't want to put the lamp under the bowl because then it's extinguished. It's not doing what a candle or what a lamp is supposed to do. And that is to give off light. And so likewise, as a follower, as a, as a, follower, as a disciple of Jesus He's calling us to do the same thing, to, to let our light shine. You, you don't want to extinguish it. You, you want to make sure we're living as God designed us to live. And that is to represent God's peace and God's love and God's glory to all around us. The truth is that God has saved you and me from something. God has saved you and me for something. Light, like I said, it's a, a common theme in Scripture. It, represents purity and truth and knowledge and and God's presence. As followers of Jesus, we're called, we're commanded by Jesus, in fact, to live lives in which people can see God radiating and working in us, with us, and through us. The truth is, you don't have to go far to to find out that we live in a, a dark, hurting world desperately in search of meaning and peace and light. 
How is God being displayed by you in your life here and now? How is God being displayed by you in your workplace? How is God being displayed by you in your home, in your neighborhood? How is God being displayed by you in our local schools? How is God being displayed by you in your marriage or in your parenting? How is God being displayed by you in our community? Can those around you, can they see God's presence in their lives because of your presence in theirs and God's presence in yours? The truth is you don't have to look very far in Scripture to realize that, that Jesus, once we're saved, it didn't call us uh, immediately up into heaven. In fact, he chose to put us on a stand to give light to a world, to let others see the glory that he is living out in your life and in mine. He's saying that we are a hillside city glowing in an otherwise dark world. We're not saved by works but we are saved for our works. In other words, it's not what we do that saves us. Rather, it's not behavior. It's belief that allows us to, to understand the salvation of Jesus Christ. Our works, our good deeds, they're, they're not a cause of our salvation, but they are a purpose for our salvation. And there are a myriad of ways in our community, certainly here in this church, that allows us to shine our light to people who desperately need to see light. I want to introduce you to a powerful ministry known as Family Promise. Uh, most of us are probably aware that homelessness is a, a massive problem affecting millions and millions of Americans, including those here in Roswell and North Fulton and East Cobb. Nearly 40% of the homeless population is made up of people under the age of 18. Countless children going to bed at night without a pillow under their head or a safe place to Sleep, in many cases, going day after day before they find adequate food to nourish them. Family Promise, it's a ministry in which churches throughout our area, they host a homeless family, several homeless families, a week at a time. They'll go from one church for a week and then another church for a week. And the goal is to help them make that transition from homelessness to having a home on their own. So Family Promises is a ministry in which we'll welcome people here onto our campus. It's going to be February 9th through the 17th. And just remember this, because in an you're going to have a, in a moment an opportunity to, to be a part of something really powerful, something so much bigger than ourselves, something that allows our light to shine to others. The families, while they're here, they'll have a, a nice room that's made up to, to be kind of comfy and cozy and warm and safe. The families will have three meals a day. Uh, the kids will go to, to school during the day if, if the, the parents have work. In many cases, it's a single parent. Then that, that, that maybe she'll find help writing a resume or being taken around to, uh, to apply for different jobs. It really is a powerful ministry. And we have, like I said, the opportunity to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. You, you, for example, you can come and, and you can spend the night at the church to, to be with the people who are going to be a part of that week. Or maybe you can't spend the night, but, but maybe you can prepare a meal to bring to the families. Or maybe you can just come and, and spend time with the children, maybe reading to the kids or playing with them. 
Or maybe you can help someone write a resume or get ready for a job interview. Uh, Maybe you can visit with the families just offering hospitality and compassion. And again, showing them that they matter in the eyes of God. Therefore, they matter in the eyes of you and me. Or maybe you can come early and you can set up for the week. Or or maybe come at the end of the week to help take down as they then get set to go to another church. Uh, There's just a myriad of opportunities to be a light shining brightly. Here's what I'm going to challenge you with. If you'd like to be a part of this, there's an easy way to do it. You've got the the connect cards in front of you. Um, I would just invite you, if you want to be a part of this, just just put your name down, write family or promise or something on that with your contact information. Uh, After the service, you can give give the card to to Sean. You can give it to me. You can go to our connection desk out these doors here. You've got baskets by by each and every entrance and and exit. You can drop the card in there, and, and we're going to reach out to you ASAP to let you know, wow, you you can really make a difference here because of all that's going on. I love the, the picture that you're going to see here in just a moment. Uh, what do you see in that picture? Jesus is leading this family. They, they started out in the car. You can kind of see it broken down in the background. Jesus is obviously leading them somewhere, taking them somewhere, guiding us somewhere. I think that's powerful because we know that, that God will call us to leave our comfort zone. But one thing about that is uh, the truth that that God will never lead you to a place where his grace is not already there preparing for your arrival. Jesus is not saying, okay, you guys go over there. No, to the contrary, Jesus is leading them. He knows that the baggage is heavy, and so Christ is the one that takes that. You see, we're called to make a difference. We're called to let our light shine. We're we're called to make an impact. The good news is that we're not called to do it on our own. We're not called to make an impact in our own strength or or with our own flesh. To the contrary, we're called to press into God, to surrender our lives to God so he can be the one leading and he, therefore, can be the one that's carrying our baggage. We're we're not not called to to go somewhere, like I said, in our own uh, authority or or agenda or, or pathways. We rely on Christ to lead us and guide us. Jesus wants you, he wants me, to follow him on a radical road trip. Maybe he's lovingly leading you to a place that maybe you don't want to go. Maybe he's leading you to a place that is so way outside of your comfort zone. That's what Jesus does. We we often say that we want Jesus to come and and comfort us in our disturbed day and age. But but Jesus didn't come to to comfort or to disturb our comfort, rather, but he did come to disturb our comfort. To say, look, I'm going to call you to something that is amazing, but you have to trust me. Let me guide you. Let me lead you. Just follow my example. Follow where the Holy Spirit is leading you, and you will find something amazing where you are a part of something bigger than yourself. Our family, just a few months ago, we, uh, we adopted a new dog. A six-year-old dog we, uh, we adopted from a local humane society, and she's a great dog, a great family pet. Everyone loves the dog. Her name's Sadie, and, and Sadie loves all of us. But for whatever reason, she's just taken kind of a a special shine to me. I don't know why that is. I know that maybe people are just drawn to me. That's that's probably what it is. I I do remember that, uh, yeah, before I met my wife, Catherine, I had women beating down my doors, Um, most of them trying to get out. But the the fact with, uh, with Sadie the dog, she seriously just follows me around wherever I go. 
It could be a cold morning, but, but she'll follow me outside. Uh, the temperatures could be freezing. There's rain falling down outside, but, but she'll follow me into the backyard. She'll follow me if I go into our office downstairs or, or to bed upstairs or in the living room to watch TV. She just follows me everywhere I go. They call her my shadow because she's always right behind me. There's one place, though, that Sadie refuses to go, despite how I am leading her and even calling her, and that is the master bathroom with this big shower. See, Sadie has been given some showers in the short time that we've had her. She doesn't like the shower. And so she'll follow dear old Joe wherever he goes, but if he goes by the shower, she cowers and she runs away. I love that because the truth is I, I can kind of relate to that. Yeah, Jesus, I, I'll dedicate my life to you and I'll, I'll follow you and I'll go wherever you call me to go. I'll do whatever you call me to do. Uh, well, Jesus, almost everywhere, not, not quite. There's some places I don't want to go and some places I, I don't want to do. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, I'll follow you. But don't ask me to forgive that person from my past who really hurt me. Yeah, Jesus, I, I guess I'll follow you, but, but don't ask me to reach out to people who aren't like me. Yeah, Jesus, I'll follow you, but, but I want to keep my life the way that it is. It's kind of comfortable for me right now. Or, or okay, Jesus, I'll, I'll follow you, but don't ask me to share my faith with someone else. Are we willing to follow Jesus wherever he may lead, as uncomfortable as it may seem, even as frightful as it may look at the beginning? A life in Christ, a life with Christ, is a life that's designed and called and equipped to make a difference. But here's some good news. Like I said, we're not called to do this on our own. God is the one who provides our strength, the direction, the right words to say in the right time in which to say them. God enables, empowers, and equips us to let our light shine, to make a difference in our lives, in our world, in our communities, even with our own families. In just a few minutes, we'll wrap up our time together, and we're going to sing a powerful song called Peace Be Still. And during that time, I'll invite you to, to come forward, and in the baskets up here, we have these really cool little cute little suitcases I'm going to invite you to take one of the suitcases, take it back to uh, your seat, and, and there are pins, and there's a little tag on it. I'm just going to invite you to write your name uh, on the tag, and then keep the suitcase. Take it with you. Allow it to be a, a tangible and visible reminder of the road trips Jesus is calling you to follow him on. Be reminded that God has equipped you. God designed you to be one who gives off light. Not your own light, but the light of God. Road trips, my goodness, they, they can be unsettling at times. They can be frightful at times. And yet when we're following God, he's going to leave us not in the hands of ourselves, but in the midst of our Savior, Jesus. A road trip's incredible because, again, God equips, enables, and empowers us to shine, to give off his light to the world around us. So Jesus is calling you calling you on a road trip. It could be the journey of a lifetime. He's calling you. He's inviting you by name. Come follow me, he says. How are you going to respond to that? How will you respond? Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we so much thank you for the ways in which you challenge us. You, you challenge us to step out of our comfort zones. You challenge us to view people through your eyes and not through our own lens. 
Lord, you challenge us to make a difference when it seems like we have nothing left to give. Lord God, open our eyes to see situations the way that you do and not the way that we tend to do. May we sense your power and peace as you challenge us to let our light shine so that others can see your presence in us. Father God, give us boldness to stand up for the right things and give us hope when we find ourselves filled with worry, doubt, or fear. Lord, you know the concerns that are weighing heavily on our hearts. Maybe we're going to lift up someone who is hurting. Lord, you hear our prayers. Maybe, God, we lift up a relationship that seems fractured. Give us the right words to say and the right timing in which to say them. Lord, you hear our prayers. Maybe, God, we lift up a situation that we're facing at home or at work or at school. May we seek your guidance instead of merely relying on our own. God, you hear our prayers. We thank you, God, for the love that you have for us, for the opportunities we have each day to live a life that points toward you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for first loving us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.